All right, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm uh, Pastor John. Excited to spend the morning with you guys here in the middle of our series, um, Why You Believe What We Believe. That was a great week celebrating our uh, country's birthday here, the 4th of July. Uh, really neat to, 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 uh, to celebrate that. One of my favorite places to go and visit when I get home to Philadelphia is uh, the, the uh, Independence Hall where the actual Declaration of Independence was signed on July the 4th, 1776. And I love to go outside and they have a field right across from Independence Hall, uh, a field of grass where four days later, you might not know this, on July the 8th at noon, they read the Declaration of Independence for the very first time in public to the citizens of Philadelphia. And uh, what a great, great kind of part of our history. And I love to stand on that piece of grass. It's still there today. And I love to stand there and kind of picture what it would have been like to hear that Declaration of Independence being read the very first time. You know, all those emotions that they would have had of pride, but also of fear at what was coming because of them declaring their independence from from England. Those, Those emotions of patriotism still run deep in Americans today. And uh, it's been a great week celebrating. But you know, when you think about it, our country's history really isn't that old compared to the rest of the world. As a nation, we're less than 250 years old. Our oldest cities, you know, in Florida and in Virginia, you know, were started uh, uh, in, in the late 1500s or the early 1600s. And when you think of it, that's, that actually is not that old. There are many cities in the world that are thousands of years old compared to our cities that are hundreds of years old. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around the length of time, isn't it? I mean, hundreds of years seems like a really, really old, you know, long time. Thousands of years is really even hard to imagine life thousands of years ago. And so when we read about eternity in the scriptures, which is what we're talking about today, it it becomes almost impossible to wrap our minds around what eternity really means. If I'm being honest, when I think about eternity, when I try to close my eyes and sort of try to understand or grasp what it is, it's a little scary, in fact, to think about, you know, eternity going forever and ever. My mind, my finite mind just can't quite grasp it. But we're talking about eternity here in this series because it is so critical when we, because the Bible talks about life after death. In fact, it's one of our key components of a worldview when we're trying to put our worldview together around Scripture that we understand that there is more to come after this earth. And when we understand that, it impacts every decision that we make, every decision that we make today because of thinking of our future. In fact, living with our future eternity in mind changes how we live today. Scripture talks about eternity for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons it talks about it so much is because it affects how we live today, because we're thinking about the future. We're thinking about how our lives today will affect us in eternity. It can't not affect us. And that's a double negative. You can't say those, but it can't not affect us when we think about our eternity and we take it seriously. It just can't. So here's what the scripture really teaches. We're talking about, we're in this series right now called Why You Believe What We Believe. Here's what the scripture teaches about life after death. Simply understood, the scripture teaches about an afterlife that includes every person who's ever lived standing before God to give an account of themselves and to hear his judgment of them. That's what it says. And those who have a relationship with Jesus through, through faith in the gospel will receive eternal life with God in a place the Bible calls heaven. And those who have rejected Jesus in the message of the gospel will receive eternal punishment in a place the Bible calls hell. 
That's the bottom line of eternity, of what the Bible teaches. We believe that there is life after death. And so we believe that when God formed you, when God formed me, when he formed us in our mother's womb, that that was the beginning of our lives that will go on forever somewhere. That, that we are not you know, creatures that have an end, but we will go on forever somewhere into eternity. As humans, though, we don't like what necessarily what the Bible says about judgment coming. We would prefer a different end. And so humans have been tempted to kind of rewrite what they believe the afterlife might look like. Turn your Bibles today. We're going to look at some scriptures. Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. If you need one, raise your hand up in, in the south and, and here in the north. We'd love to give you one so you can follow along today. If you're, uh, if you're watching on the internet, we, we're grateful that you're here. Thanks for being here. Please turn your Bibles if you have one there. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read a few verses here together. You and I need to recognize the heavy weight of this topic. You and I need to recognize how important it is that we get this one right. Choosing to believe in Jesus, choosing to believe in him for salvation, choosing to believe that there is an afterlife, the way the scripture describes, is way more important than choosing what team you're going to root for. And it's incredibly much more important than choosing what you're going to eat for lunch today. And so let's focus our attention here on these scriptures as we understand God's, uh, God's teaching. Because if we get this one wrong, it will cost us everything. Everything. There's weight to this. All humans have a terminal disease. Every one of us. Whether we've been diagnosed by a doctor or not. Because of sin in our world and the sin nature inside every one of us, the death rate currently, last I checked, is 100%. It's been that way for a long time. And unless Christ returns soon, this is a happy thought, every single one of us will die. Every single person in this room and that's listening will have a day where they will die. That is sure. And so we must get this right. What God teaches about what is to come. We cannot get this wrong. Would you stand? That's why we're addressing it in this series. Would you stand and read with me from 2 Peter? We're going to read verses 3 to 7 together this morning right now. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to read verses 3 to 7. Here we go. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You can have a seat. <clears throat> Peter says that scoffers will reject God's truth about the future. Scoffers will come onto the earth and will just scoff and will say, that's not true. All these things that God is, has been telling you, all these things you've read in these ancient writings, these ancient scriptures, they're not true. And they will, they will attack a certain thing, a couple, a few important things. They will reject creation. 
They will reject that God was the creator of the world. And they will reject uh, uh, the, the worldwide flood that it happened in Genesis chapter 6. And they will reject the future judgment that is to come. Why do, they, why do they reject these things? Why are these the things that they go after? Well, it's very simple. But if God is not the creator of the world, and if God did not judge the world in Genesis 6 through the flood, and if God is not the one who will judge the world in the future, if, if he doesn't really exist or those things won't really happen, well, then I can live my life however I want to live. And then there's no accountability for me. If I simply am a, a, a product of chance, well, then I, I determine what is truth for me. Does this sound familiar? That's our world today. That's how we are living today. If we, if we don't have a creator, then we determine what happens. The truth is, is that our world is uncomfortable with the topic of death. I hope that you're not. But our world doesn't know what to do with death. It's uncomfortable. And we don't want to think about it, and yet it's a part of our lives. In fact, worldwide, every three seconds, I'm sorry, three people die every second. Every second. 180 people die across the world every minute. And 11,000 people will die before this service is over. Worldwide. Life is incredibly short. James in the New Testament describes life as a mist. Picture on a cold Indiana morning, breathing outside, one single breath comes out of your mouth and you see it dissipate away into the air. James describes that as your life against the backdrop of eternity in my life. We don't like to think about death because it forces us to take inventory of ourselves. It, it, we're, not, we're not comfortable with the finality of death, that when it comes, that, that that's it, that that's, that was our chance. And so as humans throughout history, we've kind of created different theories of what happens after death. You've heard these. Uh, perhaps you've heard that there's nothing more after this life on earth, that simply we cease to exist. That's one theory. Or that everyone will end up in heaven one day, if it's really a, a true place, that everyone will get there, that, that there is no judgment, that that would not be fair. Or perhaps you've heard that you will have opportunities to come back in another life to try to work off your bad debt, your karmaic debt, and, and try to work towards a future destination for yourself. The problem with all these theories is that you and I are not good enough to work our way into heaven. The scripture is clear about that. And the theory of reincarnation kind of doesn't solve the sin problem for the simple reason that even if we could live multiple lives, we would never be able to get ahead. We would never pay off our sin, our old sin, as fast as we would be adding new sin to our debt. That's the condition of humans. You and I have kind of all heard these in some form because scoffers will come and will scoff and will throw out different interpretations of what, what is to come. Following their own evil desire, Peter writes, their desire to not give an account to their creator. Instead, the Bible teaches something very different. The Bible differs with all other religions and forms of beliefs in the world in that we believe that our eternal status simply depends on this one thing, our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
that there is nothing else. Based upon faith in him alone, salvation is simply a gift that we could never earn, that we could never somehow work our way there. We believe what John 3.16 simply says, that God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And those choices in that verse are the only two choices that exist, perishing or eternal life. There are no other options for us after this earth. And so let's spend a few minutes talking about these two very real choices. What is perishing? Simply, it is death. And real death is being separated from the author of life, God himself, forever. The Bible describes this eternal place as hell. Unless talking about hell is not exciting. I usually stand up here and will crack a few jokes about whatever I'm talking about, but this is not something that we really laugh about. If you and I think hell is funny, then we don't understand it. Because when we talk about hell, we're talking about something the Bible describes as real. And we're talking about not just a sort of a theory or a doctrine, but quite literally we are talking about the destination of people that we love. When you and I walk around our town, when we go to Walmart, when we go somewhere, we are quite literally standing within feet of people who will spend their eternity in this place that we're describing today. And that's a terrible thought. And so when we talk about how we only do it with compassion and with sensitivity, so I don't yell and scream and stand at the corner. That's why we talk about it with sensitivity because it's a real place. We are compassionate when we discuss something that is sensitive. But that doesn't mean that we don't discuss it and it doesn't mean that it's not a real place, and so we must. Let's take a look at three passages kind of quickly today as we try to get a better understanding of this eternal destination for those who reject Jesus. The first we don't need to turn to, except on the screen, just one verse. Hebrews 9, 27 says this. People are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. That's it. We will all have a death, and then we will stand before God, our creator, and have to give account of our lives. And we won't stand with our friends or with a group of people or with our family. We will be there on our own. Everyone at a judgment. Nowhere in scripture does it ever teach that people are given a second chance after life. Nowhere in scripture is it ever suggested that there is a place like purgatory? It doesn't exist. Not in the canon of scripture. Nowhere. In fact, the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30, actually serves as a warning for those of us who would want to think that people get a second chance. In verse 25 of Luke 13, in the story, Peter, or Jesus says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. There is no second chance after death. 
It's why we must take this chance that we have, this life that we have, so seriously. There have been lots of depictions of hell throughout history, from a towering inferno to people saying the hell that we live through on earth is hell, to people saying that we simply will cease to exist, that there is nothing that is forever, to people uh, just being together with their friends, partying forever. These are all the types of hells that we have heard about. Unfortunately, none of those are accurate, according to Jesus' statements in the gospel. Jesus used the word 12 times in the four gospels. A quick look would show us that he spoke of it as a horrible place of punishment reserved for those on judgment day who have rejected him. The clearest picture we'll turn there comes in Matthew 25, where we see what happens when we stand before the judge real briefly. Matthew 25, let's turn there. Keep your finger in 2 Peter 3, because we'll come back there to, to wrap up. But in Matthew 25, Jesus tells this story of what is happening when the Son of Man comes into his glory, when he comes back, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Verse 32 says, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So there will be this separation of people who, who rejected Jesus and who accepted him. And verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And if we skip down to verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And verse 46 says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The description words of eternal fire and eternal punishment don't give us the picture of someone ceasing to exist, but that it will go on forever. Jesus, in other places, use, uses words where there will be weeping, he says, or outer darkness, or a gnashing of teeth. Jesus describes it as a horrible place. Revelation chapter 20 is a final passage I want to look at regarding hell and here, Peter, I'm sorry, John, the Apostle John is given some time in heaven to uh, see the things that are to come and to describe them. And here in Revelation chapter 20, we can read about this judgment, this great white throne judgment. Verse 10, we can start there. It says, And the devil, this is Revelation chapter 20, the last book in the Bible, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And verse 11 says, And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in these books. So what's happening here? Those who don't know Christ are standing before this judgment seat, what we call the great white throne. 
and the judge, God, is sitting on it, and the books are brought out. It's not unfair. You are judged based upon how you lived your life. And the books are perfectly written with perfect history, written, recorded, everything that you and I have done, you know, in our lives, and we are judged according to those. And the good news for you and for I who have salvation in Jesus is that we're not even there at this judgment. Because our names are found written in the Lamb's book of life because of Jesus' death on the cross. But those who have rejected him are standing here and they are judged according to their deeds, what they have done. Verse 14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. The first one we read about in Hebrews, everyone dies the first death. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. As we discuss how, I would encourage you to not get so distracted by thinking through the details of what it might be like that you miss the clear point. The clear point that Jesus loves us and wants to warn us. And when he spoke of hell, he spoke of it as a horrifying place characterized by suffering and fire and outer darkness and weeping. And his intention was to stir in us a seriousness that would cause us to take hell seriously and to avoid it at all costs. That's his clear point. And so don't get so mixed up in sort of the details and trying to figure it out that you miss what he's trying to do what he's trying to say above everything else. And let me give one kind of final word about hell to us today. We better convince in love, not in judgment, but in love, everyone that we know that we don't want to see there. But it, whenever I talk about hell, I think about people that have passed away, people that I knew. And I can't help but wonder where they might be. And what I want to give you is a word of encouragement today, that you and I don't know a person's heart, that you and I don't know if at some point in their life, even if their life didn't necessarily show it to you or to me, we don't know if they never made a decision to trust Jesus. We just don't know that. We don't know if even in their last moments, in their final breaths, if they trusted in Christ. I would not encourage you to wait until then. Jesus warns against living that way. But you and I don't know if someone may have trusted Christ. There really is no positive or good that comes from you or I dwelling and convincing ourselves that we know that somebody is in hell. There's just no good that comes of it. And so we can trust that God, in God's grace and love for them, like we trust in him for us. But we know that it is a real place. And that our concern is what will we do with this? What will I do with the information that I'm given about my decision to follow Jesus or not? That is one place where people will spend eternity and there's another. There's another alternative called eternal life where people live in perfect relationship with the author of life forever in a place called heaven. Honestly, we don't know nearly enough about heaven as Christians 
We don't think about it enough. It's kind of crazy. When you think about our world today, when you're going to go into a trip, when you're going to go somewhere, what do you do? You might not even be going out of state. You might just be going to a new store or a new restaurant. You research it. You look up reviews. You think about it. You, 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 you anticipate, you know, what you're going to do there. You look at restaurants you might want to go. You look at, you know, places you want to kind of explore when you get there. Where are you going to stay? How are you going to get there? What's the best way to get there or to travel there? We do all kinds of research, but yeah, we don't know and not a lot about heaven. And we're going to spend a long time there. And we don't know enough about it. Let's, let's help clear some of that up here today. Because Randy Alcorn says this, he's an author of a book called Heaven. And he says, you know, Satan doesn't need to convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He only needs to convince us that it is a boring, unearthly existence. And I think that's what we think sometimes about heaven. I think we don't think about it a lot because it sounds kind of boring. We picture in our minds just sort of floating on clouds, just singing or playing harps or, or doing some stuff like that. And we think like, why would I want to be there? That, it's hard for me to think about that. I'm not very excited about that. And you know what? If we believe this lie where Satan has kind of convinced us that it's a boring place, then we're robbed of our joy. We're robbed of our anticipation of going there. And we'll set our minds on this life instead of the next one. And we become uh, quiet about our faith. We think, why would we share the good news that people can spend eternity in a boring place that we are not really that excited about ourselves? And so I think we need to learn more about heaven. I think we need to understand really what it's going to be like because it will inspire us to anticipate it as well as to share the good news of it. If you're still in Revelation, just look across the page there to Revelation chapter 21. We get a glimpse here, a small glimpse of heaven. There's several in Scripture, but again, for time, we'll just look at this one passage where John <clears throat> gets a glimpse and he says, Then I saw a new heaven in verse 1, Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I love that picture that John uses. Because as he's standing there, he sees the new heaven, the new earth coming down. He pictures it just like a husband waits for his bride. And as a pastor, I get to stand here in this place quite a bit in the front of the church. And I get to watch the bride come down. And, and, and I can see, I like to look over sometimes and peek at the groom to see what he's doing. And man, he is just so excited. He's just, when she turns that corner and he gets to see her, there's just nothing like that. And you know, she has taken her time to get ready. Most of the time. Now, maybe you're sort of, you know, a, kind of a chill girl, but most brides take a lot of time. And they've been thinking about it for a long time, picturing what that day is going to be like, putting a lot of effort and a lot of work into, into what, uh, what they're going to look like on their wedding day and picturing what that's going to be. That is the same kind of effort that Jesus is putting into heaven. He's putting that kind of detail, that kind of perfection almost into heaven that, that a bride would have. And we can anticipate it with the same kind of eagerness and joy that a groom experiences when he's waiting for his bride. John continues in verse 3. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more pain. I'm sorry, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, and I love that. I don't know about you, but I am ready for the new. I'm tired of the old. I'm tired of the broken. And I'm tired of the hurting. And I can't wait for the new. And that's what Jesus is promising to us that are expecting and waiting for heaven to come. Let me give you a couple descriptions of heaven to help clear up what it might be like. First, heaven will amaze us. Heaven will amaze us. The first time that Tara and I went um, snorkeling, off of Mexico in these beautiful crystal clear waters. I can remember being uh, in, in the water and, and, and looking at these schools of fish and you're down there and they are beautiful. And you see all these different colors and all these different fish that maybe you hadn't seen before. If you did, it was in an aquarium. And now they're like right in your face and they are just gorgeous. And I remember thinking, wow. I mean, I couldn't say it out loud because I would have taken in water. But I said, wow, like this is amazing. And then you know what, five feet later, 10 feet later, I swam just a further away and I saw a new fish or a, a new set of fish or a new color or a new design I hadn't seen. I thought to myself, wow, that's amazing. That's even more amazing than what I just saw. And, and then I go like another 10 or 15 feet. It's like, that's even more beautiful. And I think that's what heaven is going to be like. I think in our first glimpse, we'll be amazed. We'll say, wow, like John was. But then I think we'll go a few more feet and we'll say it again. Oh my goodness, I can't believe he's here. I can't believe she's, I read about you in the scriptures or I read about you in history or I can't believe this architecture and the structure. The way that John tries to describe it is just unbelievable and overwhelming to picture what he pictures or what he saw. He can't even put it into words very clearly in, in Revelation. And I think heaven will amaze us. Be ready to be amazed. Heaven, second, will feel like home. Heaven will feel like home. Going on trips are are amazing. Fun opportunities to learn something new, to to do different things. But have you ever been on a trip where you got sick? Have you ever been on a trip where you got sick this last trip that we were on? Two of our kids got sick. And do you know what you want to do when you're sick? You just want to be at home. You, you want to be where you can totally lounge around and just be yourself, right? You, you want to be where you can sleep in your own bed. You, you want to be where you are only around those who are closest to you. That's what heaven will feel like. Heaven will feel like home. You see, you and I aren't meant for this hurting and broken world. You and I were created and designed and destined for heaven. And even those of us who have great homes and those of us maybe who don't have great homes, I want you to picture heaven being all the great things about home without any of the bad stuff, without any of the distractions or the hurts or the pain. That's what heaven will be like. You will feel at home in heaven like you've never felt before. As wonderful as it may be for you to get to go home and be home, 
heaven will feel all the more. And I imagine when you and I get there, we'll feel like, man, there's some really good things that happened on earth. I'm really thankful for what I got to go through, but this is home. This is amazing. Heaven will feel like home. When a believer is about to pass from this life into the next, their families are sad because they will miss them. But at times when I've gotten to be there at that moment, more than one saint has expressed an excitement and a joy. They feel like a kid on Christmas Eve anticipating the next morning waking up in heaven because it's home and the closer that we get to it and know that it's coming we have that anticipation all the more of home I I enjoy my life here and I'm not looking to leave soon but I am definitely looking forward to heaven and I'm looking forward to being home and I hope that you are too I think sometimes we misunderstand heaven and earth. We don't have a real grasp of it. When you say things like, well, I don't want to die until I get to do this. Or I don't want to die until I get to see this with my own eyes. Listen, you don't understand heaven if that's you. I mean, earth cannot hold a candle to what we will experience in heaven. The best experiences that you and I will have here, this side of earth, are nothing compared to what we will get to experience there. The the best, the greatest times that we have here on earth, the greatest experiences, the best days of our life here on earth, that we won't even be able to compare to the days that we will have in heaven. You and I will be home when we're there. Third, heaven will include deep relationships and fulfilling work. We're not just going to sit around on clouds and sing songs. The scripture talks about opportunities that we'll have based upon how we live our lives here. We'll get different opportunities in heaven and we will be fulfilled. Picture all the wonderful things about work. The job well done, the finishing a task, the, the high five with the coworkers when you, when you get the sale. Picture all of that without any of the frustrations of work. That's heaven. Picture relationships, deep relationships. You know, we have some neat relationships here on earth. Maybe you have a great marriage. Maybe you have a really close relationship with a child or with a parent. Or maybe you have a really deep friendship. And those are wonderful. But you know, even those relationships can go sideways very fast. You know, Tara and I can be having a great day. And all of a sudden we're into an argument. Just like this. We, 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 we misspeak, we, we hurt each other's feelings, we, we don't communicate clearly in our relationships. Sometimes we build up wall and, walls in our relationships. Imagine being in perfect relationships in perfect intimacy, where you emotionally are connected to each other like you've never experienced here on earth. And again, I know that make, makes you sad because you love your spouse, you love your kids, but I'm telling you, compared to heaven, this is only a small taste of what those relationships will look like and be like. It'll be amazing. And finally, heaven will be seeing Jesus face to face. That's what heaven will be. The best part of heaven will be the depth of our relationship with Jesus. 
You, you and I, we try to love him, we try to know him, and, and, and absolutely we, we can spend time with him. But again, we only sort of are getting a glimpse of what that will be like when we see him, not with our eyes of faith, but with our actual eyes, we get to stand before him and speak to him and love him. It will be an amazing thing. And we will appreciate him all the more than we even do right now when we see him. We will be so fulfilled in our relationship with Jesus. For our honeymoon, Tara and I got to go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. This September, that'll be 20 years ago. Hard to believe. You know, we love going there. Since then, we've gone several times with our kids because we, we enjoy going there. It's a special place to us. And, and it is special, uh, but, but it's not special with all, as beautiful as it is in the area with all the beautiful mountains and, and, and the beautiful hiking trails and all the animals and, and the waterfalls and all the resorts and all the shows. All that stuff is really cool. But do you know why it was a special place for our family? Do you know why it was so special for me on our honeymoon? Because Tara was there. That's why it was special. We could have gone anywhere. I didn't care. And the reason that heaven will be special is not because of all the things that we can read about and describe, but we picture it will be like. It will be special because Jesus will be there. And so that's why we should spend our lives here on earth getting to know him, doing everything we can to get to know him better because that's what heaven will be like. It will be amazing and heaven will be heaven because Jesus will be there with you. There are so many questions that we could try to answer. You know, where do we go now when we die? Where do we spend eternity? Or, or we, is it different from where we spend eternity forever? Where did Old Testament saints go? Um, and there are all kinds of questions we can get into. If you, there's just too much to kind of share in one talk. If you want to do some more reading, again, pick up the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's a great book about heaven. If you're interested in more information, you're struggling with the thought of hell, then pick up Francis Chan's book, Erasing Hell. He does a great job of looking at the scriptures in a sensitive way and talking about them. Scoffers will scoff in our world and say, where are these things? How are these things going to happen? God's not real. He's not been there just like they've been through ages past. But if we turn back to close today in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 3, where we started, I want to remind us that God is been, has been taking his time, that God has been careful for when he returns. And Peter reminds us why in verse 8. 2 Peter 3, 8 says this, Do not forget this one thing. When you're tempted to forget or think that Jesus maybe has forgotten or he's not coming. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Yes, Jesus is patient no, he is not forgetting. No, he is not, you know, out of power. No, he, he is not somehow, you know, not able to, to come back. He will return. And he is now holding back, powerfully restraining the accountability and judgment that is to come. And so his lack of return is not a lack of power. It's not that he doesn't exist. It's actually an incredible display of his power in that he is restraining what is to come giving us an opportunity to trust him. 
giving another person an opportunity to come after him and to repent. Verse 10 says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It absolutely will come, and when it comes, it will surprise us. We will be surprised when it comes, when he comes back to return. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Everything will be laid bare, and we will stand um, before this judge, every person. Peter asks the question that all of us should ask ourselves, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? He asks a great question. And so as we close today, I want us to consider how we should live with eternity in mind, because living with our future eternity in mind should change how we live today. I want you to picture what eternity is going to be like using this rope. Maybe you've seen this before, but eternity is a really long time. When you picture this rope that I have here on stage, it kind of goes forever and ever, it feels like, and the spool really does seem to go forever and ever. But you know what our, if this is a picture of our lives, do you know what our life on earth is? It's right here. If this is your life, this is the time you and I get to spend on earth. That's it. It's a short time. It kind of looks like a vapor, a mist in the spectrum of eternity. And you and I need to spend the days that we have right here thinking about all of this. Making sure that we're ready for what is to come. That means that we have a relationship with the Lord, that we have that, that secure. But sometimes we waste our lives. We, we waste our lives. We worry so much. Do you know when that girl broke up with you back in high school? That was like right here. That was nothing. That was nothing. Do, do you know that, that we spend all this time working as hard as we can, saving everything we can for this little bit of time right here so that we can enjoy this little bit of season that we I can't wait for this time I can't wait for when this happens when the kids are finally gone when we just be just us we get to to retire and not work anymore and we live all of this life for this little piece and we don't live at all for all of this Peter said to uh to 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 live with that day approaching to to speed its coming he said to live holy and godly lives that's how we're to live with the time that we have left. To picture our eternity and to live with that in the front of our mind. Take it from the back of your mind, something you think about once in a while, and put it in the front of the mind, something you think about often. Think about eternity. As we sing this closing song, we're gonna sing about some really great truth. Do you know that you and I, if we were left to ourselves, we would never be able to make it to heaven? Do you know that we cannot earn it on our own? That even our best is filthy compared to God's righteousness. But because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can sing these truths, these words. Jim said a couple weeks ago that, that our battle is a truth battle, that we need to remind ourselves about truth. And that's what we're going to do in this song as we sing about the truth of Jesus' work on the cross. That he took the punishment for you and for I. Sing these songs. Stand up, guys. Let's worship God with this truth, with a clear understanding of our eternity. Let's sing.